This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Thank you, thank you. I welcome you. I'm glad you made it out today. Getting more and more in here, so good to see you back if you hadn't been back. Again, God bless all of you. The uh, kids part right there, it's a pretty hard act to follow. I think some of you have been thinking, I'm going to get up here and lead you in that. It's not going to happen, okay? I want you to stay in church. Well, if you got your Bible, go with me to 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, still in our series, Truly Live. We'll begin to leave that in the month of July, I believe, and be able to move on to some things that will touch your heart. As you're turning there, uh, just from the beginning of Faith Christian Family Church, we, we've been going almost 20 years. It'll be 20 years next month. And the heart of this house has always been what I like to refer to as a, as a crayon box. If you think of a crayon box, it's every color of skin. And that's been the heart of this house from the beginning. It'll always be that way. And so I, I welcome people. We love people. And again, I've had one say, well, we hadn't seen any posts of yours on social media. Well, I'm going to give you a little insight. You won't because I'm not on social media. And if you're on there, bless you, that's your deal. But again, sometimes right now in our society, just because someone puts something on social media, they may post something, that doesn't necessarily mean they live that, okay? And so again, I, I think the best thing we can do is walk out this thing called love. That's why the Lord said in Matthew 22, he said, two commandments, to love the Lord thy God with all the heart, with all the soul, with all the might, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if we would just follow that, and you're talking about this world being incredible, and so again, that's, that's my heart's desire is to know every one of you are, are loved and welcome here, okay? Bless you. All right, we begin in 2 Timothy 4, verse 1. Apostle Paul here was writing to this pastor named Timothy, and he said, I, I charge you, I solemnly instruct you before God and the Lord Jesus. Now, it's like he's, he's telling him right here, Father God and the Lord Jesus, they're, they're gazing upon you. They're, they're watching what you're going to do with these instructions. And he said, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. And so, Father God and the Lord Jesus, they're going to have the final say-so, Okay. And he goes on to say in verse 2, and he says, Now here, Timothy, this is your assignment. Preach the word. Proclaim the word. Stand on the word no matter what because there's life-changing power within the word of God. There's yoke-destroying power within the word of God. And I believe he's telling this because he knows this is the only thing that will change people's life. But also he knows the devil knows that when people begin to get a hold of the word of God, everything starts changing. And so he's telling him, he said, listen, preach the word. And he goes on to instruct more. Be ready. And that word ready literally means a military word. Stay at your post. What was his post? Preach the word. Be ready in season when things are good and out of season when things are bad. So he's literally telling him, no matter what it looks like on the outside, preach the word. 
And then he gives some words here that I believe are very helpful. The first one he says is convince. The word convince, I believe, helps us. It's on the borderlines of the word conviction. And so what the Holy Spirit does is he takes the word of God when it's spoken, when it's preached to us, and he begins to convince us. And what that looks like is he'll convince you to the word of God that you either receive the word of God or you reject the word of God. I, I believe it's the mercy of God when the conviction power comes in upon us. The next word he uses was the word rebuke. Proverbs 10, 17 says this, if you reject rebuke, you're guaranteed to go astray. So what would the word rebuke mean? The word rebuke means to correct. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1 says, you despise correction, you remain ignorant. Ooh, that one hurt. And so again, what happens here is the, the Holy Spirit, he uh, rebukes, he corrects in our thoughts, our deeds, and our actions. And he says, do they line up to the word of God? The last one he says, to, to exhort, to admonish, to encourage, to, to run the race, to go before God, never to stop serving God. And he ends with all long suffering, patience, and teaching, which is wisdom. Now, what I found out when you begin to teach the Word of God, some people think, well, you're narrow-minded. You're negative. You're critical. You're judgmental. But political correctness never does override the Bible or the Word of God. And opinion polls do not determine reality. Only the Word of God. Verse 4. Verse 3. For the time will come when they, the word they means large numbers of people, will not endure sound doctrine. Now, this is a warning to us, okay? These times are going to begin to come where people will not listen, respond. They lose their appetite or a distaste for the word of God. Man, a strong word. You, you've got to fall in love with the word of God. You've, you've got to, to say, man, I, I desire the Word of God. I want to hear the Word of God. And I can tell you right now, sometimes in my life, the Word of God is annoyingly accurate. But I still treasure the Word of God because it's the mirror I must live and look into. And, and so he gives this warning. And so instead of sound doctrine, they will go but according to their own desires, their own pleasings, their own lust or their gratification. Because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and these teachers will be nothing more than ear ticklers. What does that mean? They'll be heaped up in large numbers, and their desire is to tell people what they want to hear instead of what they need to hear. Now, this was the warning. Now, think about this. He's telling this pastor, Timothy, he said, listen. You've got to give them the word of God. You've got to preach the word of God. Don't apologize for the word of God. Verse 4. And they will turn their ears away from the truth to fables. They'll turn their ears away to, to fables. 
to, to, to man-made things, fantasies and myths. And he ends in verse number five. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions. Do you know when you live by the word of God, you're going to experience some afflictions. Not ever going to, one's going to applaud your Bible-based stand on life. And he goes on to say, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. In other words, you're the channel, you're the voice for the word of God. Now, why is the word of God so, so important? Why did he say this was your assignment to preach the word? Turn to Hebrews 4, and I'm just going to read one verse there in Hebrews 4. This is Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. For the word of God, for the word of God. Now, remember, he said, preach the word. For the word of God is living. The, the word of God is alive and powerful, and the powerful there denotes something at work or effective. And so within the word of God, there's something that comes alive, and there's something that comes a powerful when I begin to live my life off the word of God, when I, I begin to receive the word of God, when I begin to uh, uh, say, Father God, I can't live without it. And listen, you're never too late to start valuing and appreciating the Word of God. And he goes on to say this about the Word of God, for it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's like a surgeon's knife. And you know what a surgeon's knife can do? It can cut things off, but it all so can heal. And he said it's sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. The word of God right here, it'll reveal who you are and it'll reveal who you're not. And he ends with this saying, and is a discerner of an exposer of the thoughts and the intents or purposes of the heart. So right here he gets over and he says, let your life be based on that right there. Let the word of God become the thing that sharpens you. And so you begin to get an insight of how, how important the Word of God is. Now, go with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Amens are welcome in here, okay? It's gotten really quiet in here. 1 Samuel 15. So where we're headed to this is Samuel was a prophet. Uh, 1 Samuel 9, 9 says that he was a seer, S-E-E-R. In other words, he would see into the spirit realm. He was the voice of God. He would tell, he would prophesy what God would tell him to do. Now, when you begin to study the prophets, the vast majority of what the prophets would prophesy about were unpleasant things. You ever go in there and look, and they were about repentance, they were about judgment, they were about sin, they were about destruction. Almost every one of them had to do, change your heart. Get your heart right. And so we come into 1 Samuel 15, verse number 1. Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you to be king over his people. So Samuel the prophet is speaking to this man named Saul, and he said, God's anointed you. 
What does the word anoint mean? The word anoint means the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, will you see the word, the anointing oil? It's representation of the Holy Spirit. So right here, he said, I came to anoint you as king. The reason he came to anoint him as king because there was great responsibility that was given to him because of the anointing. Now, oftentimes when we think we're anointed in some area of our life, whether you're anointed to sing, you're anointed to preach, you're anointed everywhere, we almost have the thought, well, because I'm anointed, I'm guaranteed so I can do whatever I want. That's not true. The anointing isn't permission for me to do whatever I want. And so I can get up here and I can preach out of my own abilities, my own talents. But something happens when I preach under the anointing. I mean, it's life changing. When the anointing of God goes out from a message, some of you will say, pastor had to be talking to my wife. He knows things about me. He knows what I'm going through. I don't know those things. And no, your wife hadn't been calling me and telling me. Just lighten up, all right? That's what the Holy Spirit begins to do. And so not only does the Holy Spirit take the Word of God. Again, part of his job is he uses the Word of God to convict us. I believe the convictions of the Holy Spirit that goes with the Word of God, it's some of God's greatest mercy to every one of us. He uses the the, the conviction to bring our hearts back to him. So he anoints him as king. And he says, now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Listen. Don't substitute your judgment for the commandment that's been given you. Heed the word. So when I see right there, he anoints him, but then he tells him, heed the word of God. If the anointing made everything perfect that I didn't have to live any certain way, then why would I have to heed the word of God? Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up out from Egypt. So when the uh, the Israelites were exiting uh, Egypt, the Amalekites charged them and attacked them, and they weren't good. Verse 3. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now when you read that, you're almost thinking like, what type of God would do this? A just God. The reason he says this is because he had given the Malachites years and years and years to repent, a change of heart to come to him. And they would never do it. They were corrupt. They were idol worshipers. One translation says they were a bunch of terrorists. And so you go out through the history of the Bible, any time that God would destroy humanity, he gave long time for man to, to respond to him. And they wouldn't do it. And so when you look at the commandment that he gives King Saul in verse 3, it's very precise and it's very clear. And you can go back and you can look at everything he said. Utterly destroyed them. Wiped them out. 
Verse 7. And Saul attacked the Malachites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. He also took or captured Agag, king of the Malachites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people, and I want you to keep that thought right there. But Saul and the people, they spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. But they were unwilling, and the word unwilling is a condition of my heart. Anytime I know the commandments of God and I'm unwilling to do them, these things aren't good. And so it says they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Write this down, okay? This is James 4, 17. Listen real close to this. It is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Let me say that again. James 4, 17. It is sin when you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it. And so he unwillingly was to utterly destroy them, but everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. So what happens here is Saul decides to take pity on King Agag. And anything that was of value of the, the livestock, he kept them. But anything that in his eyes that was worthless, he destroyed. So what you see here is a man who deviated from what God told him to do. So here's your little phrase right here. Selective obedience is still disobedience. When I know what to do and I choose not to do it, in God's eyes, it's sin. Verse 10. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I regret greatly that I have set up Saul as king. When he says this, this is an expression of sorrow. This wasn't an expression of error. Okay? God didn't make a mistake and say, uh-oh, I got the wrong. No, 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 no. God puts every one of us in positions and he wants us to obey him and he wants us to bless us. But when we unwillingly do what he asks us not to do, we cause God to move us out of those positions. Not because God wanted to, so that's what this is talking about. So he goes on to say, why did God regret? Now listen real carefully, for he has turned his back from following me. In other words... He's no longer loyal to me and has not performed my commandments. He has not obeyed my commandments and it grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when we look at this, sometimes we have the thought human nature is, well, it was just a little thing. It wasn't that big of a deal. In God's eyes, it was huge. So let me give you a little illustration here that I think will help you today. So there's a man who's getting ready to leave his house to go to work one day. And he tells his teenage son, your assignment today is to mow the lawn. The front and the backyard. You got it? Got it. The daddy gets home that day from work and he pulls up and he notices yard looks a little bit funny. 
That 90% of it is mowed, but there's 10% right there in the front that wasn't mowed. And so he goes in the house and he brings his son out and he says, what's up with this? I ask you to do the the lawn and you leave 10% of it not done. And so the dad begins to discipline him. The dad begins to correct him. The dad begins to punish him. And when the dad is doing this, the teenage boy goes, whoa, dad, whoa. Chill. Why don't you focus on the 90% that I did do instead of the 10% that I didn't do? And so oftentimes, that's how we look at the things of God. God's not about us deviating from his commandments even a little bit. It's a big deal to God. And even in this situation, he knew this. You're the leader. You're the king. And whatever you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. Uh Uh-oh. What do you mean by that, Pastor? When you're in any form of leadership, everything rises and falls on leadership. Well, I don't want that. I don't want that responsibility. Too late. So again, understand this. When you start compromising even just a little bit, what's human nature? Well, I got away with it. So the next time the daddy comes home, 20% of the lawn's not done. Lighten up, dad. See, that's kind of how we treat God. Keep reading. Verse 12. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed, he set up a monument for himself. He pretended to be sacrificing to God, but he's really sacrificing to his own ego. Lifts Saul higher. He goes on to say, and he has gone around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel the prophet went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And so when Samuel sees him, Saul says, I've I've performed the commandment of the Lord. I've done what God asked me to do. You begin to see the deception in his heart. He didn't do what God had told him to. And so when he says this, Watch Samuel's response in verse 14. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? So Samuel asked him this question, and he was forcing Saul to have to acknowledge, What's this? Bah. What's this? Move. Now, that may not sound quite like they did, okay? But when he said that, he's saying, you said we got to, I, I obeyed or fulfilled all the commandments. And if that's the truth, what's up with this noise I'm hearing? Verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people. And so when he's confronted about his sin, when he's confronted about this bad, you know what he says? It's the people. But back in verse 9, and I told you to hang on to this, it said, but Saul and the people. 
So when Saul was confronted about not obeying God, he makes excuses. It's the people. But you're the king, you're in charge, but it's the people. See, let me ask you something right now. Have you blamed someone? Have you put the blame on people? Because this has gone around a long time in society. Actually, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. Remember when Father God corrected Adam? And his goal in correcting was Adam was to get Adam to repent. And he said, why'd you do this? Who, who, who told you you were naked? And remember what he said? That woman. It's that woman. And then you know what he said next? That woman that you gave me. So human nature is I'm going to blame someone else or I'm going to even blame God. You're a bold soul to blame God. You know what he was saying in the garden basically? He stomped his feet and looked up to God and said, I don't know why you did this. I was doing just fine with the monkeys and you got this brilliant idea to bring this woman. And not only did it bring a woman, I had to give a rib for her. See, this is what he does. So he blames her, he blames the people first. Then watch what he does. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people, spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. He blames the people. And then he says, on top of that, Father God, you know why we did that? We wanted to sacrifice to you. We want them to be good to you, God. Verse 16. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. My paraphrased edition, he said, shut up. You're talking too much. Be careful, little mouth, what you say. Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? So the first thing he goes after him is, you got, you got a root of pride in you. You're prideful. You're arrogant. You act like you can override the commandments of God. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Malachites, and fight against them until they are consumed or exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? Why did Samuel say this to him? Samuel wanted to expose the disobedience in his heart, not to punish him. He was wanting Samuel to, or he was wanting Saul to repent. Do, do you not see your error? This is what he was saying to him. And so when we look at these things and say it wasn't a big deal, it says at the end of verse 19 to do evil in the sight of the Lord. So when we cut corners, Understand, God's not happy with it. And so I highlight again the, the, the repentance that he tried to leave him to. So here's how my thought begins to go. I know how the story ends. It doesn't end good for Saul. But what would have happened 
if he would have repented? What would have happened if everything changes? And the reason I know everything changes is because God says if you'll confess your sin, I'm faithful and just to not only forgive you, but to cleanse you. And you go back. When, when King David finally repented, man, his life ended up well. That's the same for me and you. When I come across like prideful and arrogant, I'm not repenting. You get in an argument with your parents, you get in an argument with my spouse. I'm not repenting. I always have to repent. I'm always, I'm the only one that ever has to say I'm sorry. Well, pat yourself on the back. Woo, praise the Lord. Verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. Wow. You're talking about a hard heart. <laughs> but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. And I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed him. So you begin to see the weaknesses in his characters. First, he claimed to obey. Then he blames the people, and then again he seeks to justify himself. And watch how he ends this in verse 21. But the people, he still can't get off of them. It's those stinking people they took of the plunder of sheep, oxen, the best of things which had been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Hard heart. Verse 22. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So better stated right here, he's telling him, a multitude of offering and sacrifices cannot excuse or atone for disobedience to God. You can try to blow it off. You can do this and this and this and this, but that's what he's saying. It's not going to atone for disobeying God. So what was the answer? I know some of you like to put tattoos on you. Here's you a good one. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. You want to be popular in heaven? Obey. 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 Children, Ephesians 6, 1, 2, and 3. Children, obey your mother and father. <laughs> which is the first command with promise, that it will be well with you in long life on this earth if you obey the, uh, the command. See, the quicker I get to obeying the word of God, the better my life is. And I'm not just coming after you children, okay? I find in my life the thing that moves the heart of God is my obedience. Not, not just my obedience but how do I obey? Do I obey him just because it's the word of God or do I take honor and obey him? And many of you have heard me say this, this illustration years ago, my dad had said, listen, you're, you're gonna take out the trash today, okay? That's your job. Well, I knew, I knew my days to take out the trash. And so there were days I would take the trash out and all the way through the backyard, all the way to the dumpster, I would bellyache, I would moan, I would complain, and I did it, but there wasn't a blessing on it. But something happens when I obey, and I said, Woo, Father God, I get obey you today. 
I get. It's not a punishment for me to obey. And he ends this verse and he says, and to heed, to obey, to listen, than the fat of rams. What does that mean? Glad you asked. The fat of rams is a symbol of the intellect. When I override the commandments that God has given me because I think I'm so smart, you better get ready. So he's literally saying, I need to learn to obey God over conforming to my human intelligence to better help you. The word of God is higher than human intelligence. A lot of agreement in here on that one. Verse 23. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion itself is worse than the occult. And stubbornness, and the word stubborn there literally means to push, to push back from the truth. So when someone knows the word of God, the truth of the Bible, yet pushes back and does not obey them, did you see what he said here? Stubbornness is his iniquity and idolatry. And so idolatry is when I put my desires above God's. Rebellion and stubbornness. Listen to the end here. Because you have rejected the word of God, he has also rejected you from being king. You've exchanged the truth for a lie. See, and when I look at, at, at Saul's life here, he believed God was on his side. He believed God condoned his behavior, approved of his lifestyle. But God didn't. And God tried to help him and correct him. But he wouldn't eat it. He wouldn't listen. And so we can go back to this and we can have the thought, that wasn't a big deal. It was huge in God's eyes. Reject the truth. Preach the word. The word of God is alive and powerful. And so something happens when I obey it. Last week on my car, I got a, I got a roof and nail, at least one in my tire. It started going flat, so I put some air in it. So I made an appointment to get the flat fixed. On the way to get the flat fixed, my, my car began to wiggle a little bit. A little vibration. It was out of alignment, a little, just a little bit. I could feel it. I thought, man, it wasn't this way this morning. So I got to the place, and the guy said, you need a flat fixed? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, any other things? I said, yeah, man, it's got a little vibration. He said, where at? And I said, that back left. So he started ring, running his hand around the tire. And he did the outside and didn't say anything. And then he got under there and he did the inside. And he said, come here. And he said, down there at the bottom, run your hand there and see if you feel anything. So I, I ran my hand on the inside of that tire. And I could feel this little thing and it was about this big. And he goes, your tire is separated. And he said, it's a good thing that you found that because he said, before long, it was going to cause destruction because you were going to have a blowout. Now, it wouldn't have been real destruction because I, I never break the speed limit, okay? Ever. I, ne I, I never break 75 until I get outside of 
my neighborhood. <laughs> What's your point? A lot of times we have a little separation on the inside. Remember the tower was on the inside where it wasn't visible to my eye from that point of view. And so there's, there's warnings that the Holy Spirit begins to, to move within us. And on the inside, we, we got a little wiggle. We got a little vibration. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And, and I, I, I can pay attention and I can deal with it and I can get it fixed and repaired by going to the Lord or I can override it. But when I override it, guess what? You're looking right into the eye of a blowout, of destruction. And God gives us the Holy Spirit to warn us, to bring that, that, that instruction, that correction in us, to help us. Why don't you stand up right there where you're at? See, you got some wiggles on the inside of you right now. Man, it's always a wake-up call to me. And there's been times in my life when, when I would have vibrations on the inside. I knew something wasn't wrong. And, and I would override them. Have the thought, I, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to deal with it. Man, I can't override the Holy Spirit. I can't override those areas. And something happens when I, I come before God and, and I come to the altar and I, I say, Father God, I, I've deviated from your word. I've compromised your word. How about this? Is there someone in your life right now that you're blaming? And sometimes in this thing called life, people hurt us. I'm not denying that people hurt us. The Lord Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You, you will. You know, can I help you with the Greek? In this world, you're going to have some crap. Is that really in the Greek, Pastor? Kind of. So again, when, when these things come, it, it's, it's not if things are going to come, it's when they come. What do I do with it? Do I hang on to it? But, but, but Pastor, I either go to God or I hang on, and man, I start getting that wiggle, wiggle more and more. Don't you bow your head right there where you're at. Father God, we love you today. And you said there in Hebrews 4, verse 12, that your word was a discerner of my thoughts or the intents of my heart. And Father God, every one of us in here have times to get out of alignment because of our choices, because of my actions, because of my behaviors. And I thank you, Father God, through the gift of repentance. You bring our lives back into order. And Lord, I, I welcome your order today. I, I welcome that. And so again, I, I, I can be like the Samuel that's speaking to the Saul. And you can heed it or you can override it. But the goal was the love to say, come on back home. Come back to the throne of God. Come back to some peace in your life. 
And so our, our team here is going to sing. And I, I welcome you to come to these altars today. I, I welcome you to come before God and say, Lord, I'm, I'm not leaving till I get right today. And it may be coming here to repent. It may be coming here to say, you know what? This, this blame game, it's over today. Maybe you've compromised where you repent and say, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me to walk out this thing. Go ahead and sing, guys. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.